<laughs> that was much sadder than last week. I'm kind of tired. It's uh, episode 147. Uh, I just did some quick math. It took way too long. Um, it's the end of the day for me. So um, I do better math at 6 a.m. than I do at 6 p.m. Um, we are nine episodes away from our three-year anniversary. Three years of this show. Not one repeat. Pretty awesome. That's a lot of shows. That is a lot. I think a podcast. I feel like the person that created it should be more excited about this. I am excited. I'm just thinking. Well, look. Because <laughs> I like seriously, not in, not on purpose, but I have like forgotten more stuff than we've done. Because I, when I sit back and think about it, it's like, oh yeah, we did have that person. Oh yeah, we did. Yeah. We did well, go, oh yeah, we did go. Anyway. Well, and to be fair, he may have created it in name, but let's be honest, Jeremy's not a heavy contributor here. I'll admit that. He does. Sometimes he's doing better at starting to research things. That's right. So um, we are going to throw a curveball. We had some stuff line up, and uh, uh, we've got an off-site visit next week to uh, a particular institution that we like. Uh, so we're going to do our infamous Utah today. Um, so more about that later. But uh, I want to talk about some some goings-on. Everything morning. aligned because it's going to be the first full moon on a spring equinox in 19 years. Yeah, tomorrow's just, our first day of spring. That's a fact for you. A nerdy fact. That's cool. It's, uh, okay. So the spring equinox is today or tomorrow? Tomorrow. tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Well, really? Wednesday. And so is the full moon. Really? I had no idea. See, I don't, I don't know why, but I like the solstice better than the equinox, probably because of daylight savings time. Like, cocksuckers make me still miss part of the day because they decide to fucking make it darker. I definitely miss my sunrises. Yeah, I still... Yeah, you too, because you go the same time that I do. Yeah, um, I do get to see sunsets a lot. The moon looked really cool up at the top of our street today. Did you leave when it was still all giant and big and you could yeah, see it? Yeah, it was like super bright. Yeah. It was great. It was great. So, and what's with naming all the fucking moons now? Like, they all have different names. Like They've the always been named that. The worm, but why? It's stupid. It just has to do with the seasons and when, they're, when they are and how they... Just remember what it is. See, some are is, for planting, some are for... This is the pagans trying to tell the Christians how to live their lives. That's what's going on right now. Uh, no. Uh, that would also be Christmas and Halloween. No, that's the Christians stealing pagan traditions and abusing them for their own good. Sorry, the other way around. Yeah. Everybody's just got to stop telling everybody else what to do. I'll do whatever I want, and I will tell everyone else to do what I want. <laughs> Um, okay, so this morning we were supposed to go to the gym, um, and I was like laying in bed, and Bree's alarm like snoozed, and we never let our alarm snooze all the way to ringing again. And we did this morning, and I was about to say, "Let's just stay in bed and not go to the gym," because I was really tired, uh, and boxing kicked my ass last night. But we got up anyway. We got ready. We're about to walk out of the gym, out for the gym. I'm brushing my teeth, and I get a phone call. So keep in mind, this is 4.30 in the morning, between 4.30 and 5. At this point, it's It's like like 4.50. Yeah, like 10 to 5. And I'm like... Uh, your mom just tried to call me, so I text her because, like, I, it was just a quick, and I thought maybe it was a butt dial, so I text her, and I'm like, hey, what's up, and get nothing back, and so as soon as I'm done brushing my teeth, I'm like, I need to call her back and make sure she's okay, and I call her back, and you can hear voices in the background, and she's like, hold on a second, just just hang on a second, I'm like, okay, hang on a second, 
like, okay, mom, I'm hanging on. And I don't, I'm guessing she wasn't even talking. Like, like she just had the phone and she was just saying, hang on. Like she wasn't actually. So anyway, come to find out, uh, someone was drunkenly trying to get into her house this morning at like four thirty in the morning, um, without a shirt or shoes and like, <laughs> it's cold last night too. trying, trying to like break into her house because presumably cause he thought he lived there. Like the, the cops that came, she, she called the cops. Obviously they showed up, they arrested him. He didn't, he thought it was his house. He had no idea what he was doing. Uh, he was that drunk. So we rush over there instead of going to the gym uh, to calm her down and make sure she's okay. And uh, the cops were still there with him in the car. And that kind of drunk on a Monday night. Was in like, yeah, like not just Monday <laughs> it night. Like it might be residual from St. Patrick's. <laughs> I mean, that's. If he had a good party. I mean, that's a really fucking good party if it lasts all through Monday and then to the evening <laughs> and then Tuesday morning. He's trying to get into someone else's house at 4.30 in the morning. But they had to have Fire Rescue come look at him because he was all banged up from fucking falling on her porch like a dumbass. Not on her porch, off her porch. Yeah. He fell off her porch. So that was interesting. <laughs> um and then Bree told me that you said this weekend, Jeremy, I was supposed to have planted stuff like potatoes. Well, you're not supposed to, but you can. This past weekend, so St. Patrick's Day weekend, is the earliest you can plant. If you're going to do peas, that's usually the weekend farmer Luke plants his peas. However, with the weather, I don't know if he did or not, but... Because you shouldn't do it if it's still frozen. Frozen, yeah. Frozen. Which it which it was because there was still snow on the ground so Friday morning. Your root vegetables, but potatoes and stuff like that can go in as early because they don't really care, right? Uh, and then peas, because peas like the early spring, they like the cooler weather, and they're dead by June. So My lettuce is that way. Is your is a, if it's a spring lettuce? So if you're going to plant peas, now is the time to do it. And then potatoes, any time after now, really, you could plant them. And then carrots, different things like that, root vegetables can go in. Because they're going to take a little while to come up soon. If we get more snow, it's not going to hurt them. But frost, yes, frost would kill them. Kill peas? Yeah. If it, if, not potatoes, though. If, no, not potatoes. But your peas. Because potatoes won't have come up yet and started growing leaves, probably. Yeah, no, yeah potatoes, they take a little while to come up. So I, I was reading about potatoes because I was like, shit, because I, I was thinking about doing some potatoes An this year. And, but the stuff I was reading about potatoes said you could actually, you can actually grow potatoes, and as they grow and start to sprout, you cover them up with more soil. Yeah, and they'll keep going. So... Uh -huh. Like is that something you do? I've done it, I've done it that way before, and yes, it works. I haven't lately because it's kind of a lot of work. But so, what's now my compost boxes in my backyard? Mm -hmm. Originally, those were potato boxes. So what I did is I planted them, planted the potatoes at ground level like you would, and then when the stem got up about I don't know six or eight inches, I'd throw more dirt or straw or something. So it force a new tuber. Yeah. Then yeah, then that starts a new tuber, and then the the stem comes up, and you can just keep doing that and doing that. That's how. Have you ever seen where they grow potatoes like in a fifty gallon drum or something? Mm -hmm. That's how they do it. But that seems like crazy to get the potatoes out compared to what you showed me, where they're like right off the surface. Yeah. So the so so the way you did it with those boxes I had is at the end of the season you'd lift the box up and just let all the dirt fall out, yep. and then just spread it apart. Yeah, that seems really annoying to clean up. But to me, I thought eh, it's kind of a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot of work for not a lot of rewards. And so that's how you can be successful with potatoes in a small area by going up as opposed to out. But the last two or three years, we've just 
done them the normal way. I think I'm going to try lattice this year, too, for like the cucumbers to see if I can get them to climb up lattice so they don't take up so much of my bed and I can do more stuff. And that's how I do my tomatoes, too. So that way they go up and not just spread out. But you, you know, don't like tomatoes. Yeah, so. I got to be honest. That's how I do my those melons. Will, those will never grow in my garden. <laughs> you put your melons on the lattice? Yep. It's, the neighbors like it. Brie does not like this conversation. <laughs> oh, I am. She's I'm, like, I'm she's like falling asleep on us. We're five minutes in and she's like fucking gardening. I'm going to bed. <laughs> so I did not plant anything this weekend, but I will probably start planting in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. I, Some of that stuff. I went outside and there was snow Friday and then Brie told me that I'm like, shit, well, maybe I got to actually see what I need to do because I got a lot of work to do in the bed. So now's definitely the time to start prepping. Oh, and then bees. I got my notice that bees are. On the way, three to four weeks. But as in all years past, it's totally driven by the weather. Well, we'll see. We're in second winter right now. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if we get to a third winter. So what was it last year? I'm trying to remember. Was it the last week of April mm-hmm. when they came last year? So that's... But it's never It's never been quite the same... It's never really like... It's not... Yeah, it's not a set time. So... so I always, I always worry because the the winter was it you that, that Bree was it you that gave me the meme or that showed me the meme or read through like the seasons of Utah where yes. it was like fall, early winter, winter, <laughs> false fall one, no false winter, one. false winter, <laughs> winter, winter two, like, winter three, uh, false spring, winter, winter three, <laughs> like. There was like eight seasons, and yeah. they were all winter pretty much. Well, so I've noticed some of the trees in my neighborhood are, are were blooming today. Oh, really? Yeah. Jeez, that's that's early. That that's really it. early. Because I mean, it hasn't been that warm. This well, we hit almost sixty today. Yeah, today, like this. But, well, and last week, I guess we had a few days around fifty. But what wasn't it last Monday? Just a week ago. That we had snow, yeah. Like well, we had five we had, inches. We had snow on Friday. Like I had to shovel snow last week. Yeah. So that that always worries me. And then it was two seasons ago where we all all of, we got everything planted, and then we had that funky the hard frost. Yeah, and snow, and it wiped out. I know it killed like my cucumbers. Decimated and, my garden. It didn't yeah. make anything that year. This year, last year, it was, it was just last, last year, year. because oh, was. that was when we yeah. got the hailstorm. Oh yeah, yeah like, I had to replant. I planted my cucumbers because Maya pulled them the first time. Oh yeah. Then <laughs> we had the weird weather that killed them the Stupid second time. To get these weeds out of the cucumber bed, Dad. There's nothing left in the cucumber bed. Well, she 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 achieved her goal. I didn't make her weed the cucumbers the rest of the season, so I guess it worked. <laughs> <laughs> They're pretty much self-sustaining once they get going because they don't fucking yeah. let anything else grow near them. Yeah. Same with like this zucchini and stuff. Once yeah. they take off the, yeah. there ain't nothing growing under that zucchini it's there yeah it just takes over everything. one one zucchini plant this year if i do zucchini at all one yeah, because one. they produce so much we usually do two however all of my leftovers go to the chickens so if i've yeah. got if i've got plenty the chickens are happy but no more than two holy because they grow they're fucking huge those plants get so big it's awesome anyway that's enough about uh, farm, farm talk, talk. <laughs> uh, i mean like look We'll we'll do more farm talk as the the summer progresses, but uh, I do want to talk about oh one more thing. Sorry about farm talk. That book I gave you for Christmas. Yeah, seriously, check it out because it'll give you some good tips for gardening. That's what he's been reading. Oh, okay, okay. It's in the back of my car now because I took it to Bree's mom's house this morning. Actually, that actually Uh, has some cool ideas for gardening. Anyway, okay, enough farm talk. Back back to no. I'm excited to to dig through that some more. There's also recipes in there. Mm -hmm. That's how to. 
address a squirrel and a jackrabbit in there. I've done a jackrabbit before. Never a squirrel. I've though. never had squirrel either. <laughs> so I can't imagine it's really worth the effort. Yeah, that's a lot of effort. If you get a fat squirrel, if you get a Pocatello squirrel. It's like fat Pocatello squirrels. That's like... <laughs> Those things are that's like crazy. that's like eating guinea pig. It's just not on my list of things that I want to do. <laughs> delicacy what? in some places. It's not a delicacy. It's a regular mainstay of the cuisine in like Peru. Like llama in Peru. Yeah, guinea pig is actually a thing that they eat a lot of down there. Llama, guinea pig, and pony. <clears throat> well, pony's just horse. <laughs> it's like it's like saying it's you're real. eating. It's like it's real. like you're eating lamb. It's young. <laughs> I don't think they actually eat pony there, do they? I don't know. <laughs> they eat horse in a lot of places. I would try horse. Actually, most places outside the United States eat horse. And I'm just kidding. Like, what's the what's the deal with not wanting to eat horse as, as an American? Like, Stay we eat well. cows. Is it because horses are seen as smarter animals? They're really it's, not. It's the same with dogs. Yeah. Did you see the awesome cow that went to Chick-fil-A the other day? There's always a cow at Chick-fil-A. They dance around outside. No, like a real one, like a live one. Did it shit inside the building? Because I feel like that's a health code violation. The video's all over there. Possibly. It's like, hey, yeah, fucking eat chickens, not me, because I'm the mascot. (laughs) That was a total thing that I guarantee you that they set that up. Anyway, uh, so we are going to, we're going to go to the um, beer, wine, and cheese thing this weekend, I think. Not I think I got tickets. I'm I was gonna going. say if you think you better get tickets. We have those always sell out. I'm actually going. I'm actually I'm actually committed to doing something outside of my home. That's awesome. It's not I mean it's not like I don't ever do anything, but I was like, we should go. Like the the game's away. Um, we're probably gonna get slaughtered, probably not as bad as this last time, but who knows maybe because LA is better than DC and didn't they win last? <laughs> Did you see the James Gordon video of unveiling that. the statue for David Beckham because he and David Beckham are friends? It's the funniest video. You no, should go watch it. From the look on your face, I'll take that as a no. Well, we lost five to nothing and we were down two men by the end of the game, so that tells you what kind of game it was. That's not yeah. two red cards, five goals, nothing on our side. Was that a home game? No, it was in D.C. Oh, okay. It was the send-off game for Nick Romando because he played for D.C. for five years and won a championship with them, and uh, he's retiring this year. And so they had this big ceremony at the beginning of the game. And then he kicked his trash. Because he played there with Mike Patkey, the current coach of RSL, and Benny Olsen, who's the coach of, of D.C. United. And so there was this big ceremony before the game, and then D.C. scored five goals, which is the number of years he played for D.C. Well, maybe that was planned. <laughs> I mean, okay. I got to tell you one other thing. So did I talk about flat earthers last week? Off the air. Oh, I work with one. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I just found out I work with a conspiracy theorist so and I, he's new, like new conspiracy theorist. So I watched, I watched that documentary on Netflix called, I think it's called Behind the Curve and it's like, or Behind the Globe. I don't remember, but it's a fucking documentary about flat earthers. If you want to see crazies in action, like people in the face of facts and science, be like, well, you just don't know. Have they never been in No, that's what he said to me. You don't know. They can doctor pictures. Yeah. I was like, oh, my gosh. We're not having this conversation right now. They've been in airplanes. They fucking fly in airplanes. It doesn't matter. They're dumb. Do they hang out with the, the... 
the moms who won't get their kids shots and the, the, that's all there I, yeah I think they're Same all party. I think they're all entwined together like they just get together and they're like hey how can we fuck over the rest of the world a, at least the flat earthers aren't hurting anyone they're just stupid oh my god okay so I, I just have to say this so there's this one point the, the cinematography and the direction of this show was perfect because the the uh, there's one point where they're interviewing someone about the flat earthers and I think it was this guy that was like an engineer uh, and he's like hey we're just we're not all you know middle aged men living in our mom's basements and it cuts to the dude that this like this whole documentary is kind of following this Mark guy that's like I think his name is Mark Sargent he's kind of like this almost like the godfather of flat earthers like he really got the movement kind of going and uh He's kissing his mom goodbye in her house as he's leaving for the day and saying, I love you, mom. We'll see you later. Yeah. Because he still lives in his mom's fucking basement. And he's like 45, 50 years old, somewhere in there. Nice. It's insane. So, yeah, anyway, we're, uh, Brie and I got tickets to that beer, wine, and cheese that cons- chocolate conspiracy, raclette, and they're doing it with you into brewing this time. Didn't they do it with Fisher last time? Yeah, I believe so. Yes. Um, I'm excited to go. Uh, AJ was at the market Saturday. Um, I couldn't remember if it was Saturday or Sunday that the market occurs. <laughs> Don't ask why. Saturday. I actually made it a point to go to the market because I needed ground lamb to make the shepherd's pie that I made and for St. Patrick's Day. I needed a coffee. And uh, ground lamb is really fucking hard to find in the grocery store. Um, Harmon's is starting to carry more lamb, but not ground lamb. It's funny how that's what poor people used to eat for like centuries was lamb. Well, it's a big part of the diet in Europe because there's not a lot of cattle grazing land in Europe. And so so I had to go to the farmer's market to get lamb because we do have a lot of ranches, a lot of sheep ranches that, that have lamb. So uh, anyway, we went there and we talked to AJ and AJ asked if we were going. And then uh, Jen and Derek asked, uh, Jen specifically asked if we were going. Um and so I thought, well, yeah, we, we talked to go. her for, for, for quite some time because I've been wanting to go, but uh, just never, never taken the time to go. So, so uh, Jess, uh, outside of the the beer, are you guys going to go to the beer, wine, and cheese event? Jeremy doesn't do anything, so that's I don't. Beer, chocolate, and cheese. <laughs> that's what I meant. Beer, wine, and cheese. Beer, chocolate, and cheese. Whatever. I work and I garden. So no, you're not going. That's what I. That's what I got out of that. Um, what about you, Jess? Have you ever been to one of those? You don't drink, so nope, I have not. But they have cheese. They have cheese. Yep. Nope, I have not. But I have uh, two cakes this weekend that I will be. Hooray, cakes! Anything crazy? Wedding cakes or just. A little more low-key normal. Of course, normal cakes for you are Yeah, I was going to say, do you crazy. do a normal cake? <laughs> like, have you ever, do you ever just make, like, a, have a request for just a sheet cake in the pan with, like, the mm-hmm. candy lettering? Candy lettering? <laughs> you know, like, at the grocery store, I can get, like, I actually the, saw a little girl holding one of those candy lettering things the last time we were at the grocery I store. I like, I like those candies. They taste delicious. No. Definitely no. Do you buy them just to eat the candies? I have before. Cake or not. I'm not going to lie. That is something I have done. Spell out happy birthday on your tongue. They're so good. So besides that, what other events do we have? Well, just to recap of uh, the events for this coming up weekend, that uh, Harmon's Farmington Knife Skills class uh, is happening uh, up at uh, the Harmon's grocery store. So if you want to learn how to have mad 
I have skills in the kitchen. That's a good place to start. Uh, Thursday is the history of the farm with Farmer Luke at Peterson Family Farm in Riverton. Uh, it's $5 a person or $20 for the family. And that starts at 630. Um, he's just really cool to listen to. He's a smart um, dude. When you think farmer, you tend to not. That is not. He is Luke not. is not the, the stereotypical farmer. Well, he, yeah. And he, it's neat to hear him be passionate about his land that is so quickly being enclosed in on. So um, going into next weekend, because uh, I think I forgot last year and I was given a hard time about it, is the Holly Festival down in Spanish Fork, yep. uh, the largest in America. Okay, so this is interesting because so uh, the actual holiday for this that the festival is celebrating is the 22nd and 23rd. It's this Thursday and Friday. Is that yeah, this Thursday and Friday, and it's an Indian. It's a it's a Hindu holiday. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a Hindi holiday, and and I and I know this because I work with some Hindus, and I my a big chunk of my development team is in India, and of course they're not working because this is a big festival for them, and it's it's a holiday for them. But we do ours uh, a week later, and I'm talking to a couple of the Indians that I work with. They're like, yeah, that's like bigger than any festival that's in mm-hmm. India. Yep. So it's like Christmas the, kind of a thing. It is no, no, no. Specifically, the Holly Festival in Spanish, in Spanish Fork at the Harry Christian Temple. It's the largest in the world. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Which is interesting because it really. I mean, I guess people are constantly moving in and out of that space, but like, I, I don't ever feel crowded when I'm there. Yeah. If that makes any sense, but like, it is. Just like if you see if you see pictures, it oh, is sure. really massive. For That's sure. the color thing that you do. Yeah, the festival of colors where you throw the colors and mm-hmm. and it's a big it's the fun it's the big fundraiser for the Hare Krishna Temple mm-hmm. down there. Yeah. And, and I will I will say this never in any other place in the world will you see this many white people throwing things at each other and, and loving being colored up with color. It's the weirdest ass thing. Like, seriously, talking to, like, Surrender at work, he's like, yeah, it's really weird because, uh, you know, they're relatively small, but you go there and it's huge and it's a bunch of white kids that have no idea why this exists. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like, most of those kids don't know why the it's festival true, is. because they're all coming up from Provo. They just want to participate and get colored in the rainbow. And there's cool stuff. I mean, they have yoga. They have, like, Bollywood dancing classes. The there's food. There's food. Yeah, food vendors. Delicious um, food. Oh, the liquor people are usually there. Oh, CCs? Yep. CC, yeah. They, Is it CCs or CNC? CNC. Um, I just call her CC. But, well, it's Crystal and Chris, so. Um, <laughs> weather, they said weather permitting, because I think it was the last year, the year before, it was so, so windy that, like, they just packed up their stuff and, and left, so. Well, it's kind of hard to sell it when so, your red rope licorice that tastes like cherry is now blue. It's still delicious. I know, but it's covered in that. Well, when I put it, it's just cornstarch. Anyway, yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's just cornstarch. So, um, also next weekend. So that's a thirtieth and thirty first. Oh, I almost forgot something. On the 27th at the Salt Lake Community College Writing Center, there's a slam poetry writing Jeremy! Jeremy Architectural Slam Poetry. So it's $20, and they give a a good class on composing and performing, as well as like an insight into uh, Utah's slam poetry scene. So just a thought. Uh, (laughs) Anyways, 
uh, more cultural stuff for next weekend I, on the 31st. I really challenge you, Jeremy. I know I joke about it, but I think it would be fucking hilarious <laughs> if you actually did a slam poem about architecture. That would be interesting. I think you could do it. I, I'm not asking you to publish a book. I'm asking you to go to this free Slam it's Poetry free. Fest. Shh, it's free. It's $20. Jeremy won't. I'll give you the $20 because he won't do it if he has to pay for it, Jess. I'll give you the $20, but you have to write an architectural slam poem. And then after you do that on the 31st, you can go to the Salt Lake Buddhist Temple because they are having a ramen fest and it's a fundraiser. But on their specific website, they say, please get your tickets in advance because there's been such like good uh, out, like outturn for this that like they're anticipating a lot of people. So get are your tickets ahead of Are they going to have rice They're candy. five bucks. Are they going to have homemade rice candy? Uh, it's a ramen fest. It's not a rice candy fest. Because that's where they have the udon festival, right? Usually is right in front of the Buddhist temple downtown, like behind the salt palace. Uh, I think the they've udon done that festival. at the, no, I think that they do that at the mountain. Isn't that where the Buddhist temple is though? It's behind the salt mm-hmm. palace. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. No, they've done the udon festival there. And right they, by the loading dock. They have, they have served food in the bottom of that Buddhist temple and I've gotten fresh homemade rice candy from it. They also serve upstairs too in the school cultural hall they have. So all I'm saying is I want fresh rice candy because it's the best. I know a lot of Asian markets in Salt Lake. You could probably go get some. I could get the boxed shit, the Botan boxed stuff. It's good. I love it. In the Asian market, you get it fresh because Harmon sells it way overpriced. Ice cake this weekend, like mochi. Mm, we have mochi from Hawaii. We have ice cream mochi in our freezer. Except the plum one got smashed. With us today, we're fortunate to have Dave Colley from the Cold Podcast. Yay, we're happy to have you. <laughs> <laughs> so now, oh wait, I gotta you gotta turn his mic on there. Why is this funny? Oh, I don't, that was, I don't, that was my I don't fault. understand Sorry. why this is funny. Um, but it's not. No. Really. Don't okay. worry about it. All right. Don't worry about it. Some <laughs> some people inside joke have a discussion about other people and then make the wrong names. That and some they people say. just always say the name wrong. And sometimes you know when you ask a person how to say their name before you start right. interviewing. Yeah. Mike. And they tell you their last name, which could be pronounced differently, but they don't tell you Dave because <laughs> you shouldn't fuck that up. Well, then you mess it up and just say the wrong name altogether. I don't know. So. You could get creative with Dave. Dave. That's French. Yes. Yeah, right? You don't look French. <laughs> no, I'm not French. You, you look Utah. Pretty true. So are you a native Utah? Were you born here? Well, native. Let's be careful with that term. Uh, yes, but I, I was born and raised. Uh, I grew up in, I like in it. Bountiful area. Bountiful. Uh, went to Viewmont, University of Utah. Really? Yeah. See, there you go. Yeah. All right. All right. Now we've got a friendship. It's brewing. Budding, budding yeah, last week we here. had Sim Gillen here, and they're all friends because they all went to Kern. Oh, yeah. So. Okay. No, 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 no. Valley. We went oh, to Valley. Valley. Sorry, but they all grew up in Kerns. Well, no. We're in Kerns now. I grew up in Kern. We're Sim, here in Kern. Sim Gill's ghetto like us is all we're saying. Yeah. <laughs> he is still, no a, comment. still the sexiest <laughs> DA in Utah. Sim Gill's a, we made him a pin that said that. <laughs> Sim, Sim Gill's a West Sider. West Side. I love it. We love Sim Gill. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so Dave, the reason we have Dave on with us, Dave is the host of another podcast that's produced here locally uh, about, um, well, right now it's about Josh and Susan Powell. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's called Cold Case. Just called, called the Cold Podcast. 
So, which That's is a TV it? show, I think, called Case. Cold Cold case. Oh, it is a, it is a TV but it, show. But it, <laughs> if we can steal their viewers and bring in my podcast, that's great. Dude, I have if no you can with that. mess up a name, you're going to mess we it up. Like, that that's that just you. Do one of you guys want to lead this shit? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not doing so hot today. It's been a rough day for me. Um, so, yeah, but we have we have you on. So, you, you grew up here in Utah. Um, and then. So, let's back up just a tiny bit. University of Utah, what did you study? Uh, journalism. Yeah, broadcast journalism. That makes sense. Yep. And you're using that degree to make a podcast. You know what? Times change. Well, I mean, if we're being real, podcasting is really the the best media for that sort of thing. However, it says us sitting in this room on a podcast. So we understand. We get you. We're all all thinking the same thing, right? People are listening to podcasts. If you want to talk to people where they are, you got to hit that. So I, I love radio, but yeah. You know what people don't listen to? News at six. That's right. They're still driving home. Listening to podcasts on their way home. I mean, I'm sure they listen. Some of them do. But NPR. Guess guess what doesn't get guess what doesn't usually get DVR'd. News. Guess what I did before I did this podcast. News. A news podcast. on news on the radio from three to seven. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I think on the radio you might pick up some listeners, but even that is not. You're not picking up the younger generation. I don't think. Times. Yeah, it's definitely changing. So, and I don't know, I'm not an expert on Nielsen ratings, but my guess is you're probably picking up like the, the post fifties, uh, in terms of age groups, uh, on afternoon drive radio, but podcasts are, are where it's at for listeners, uh, to, to, to reach audiences. And it's also, it also gives you a, a national reach or an international reach. Uh, we, you know, we have Irish friends and Brazilians and people in the UK and Canada, France, France. Yeah, we have a lot of international listeners, surprisingly, for a show about Utah. Utah. They like Utah. So, and that would never happen. Like, I, I don't foresee, unless like something breaks nationally, like some crazy story breaks nationally, I don't see like the the world tuning into KSL for a local Utah story. <laughs> so, in particular, like Josh and Susan Powell, when that stuff started coming out and, and started breaking. They did go to KSL and to KUTV and to Fox here locally to get stories, but that's a rarity. That's not something that happens every day. With podcasting, you're able to reach those broader audiences very easily. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, A story like this one where it started in our backyard, right? I mean, West Valley. I was working in West Valley at the time, and then you saw it move up to Washington, and all of a sudden, the national, you know, TV news people are coming in on this, and uh, it just blew up into something that was so big. So, a lot of the original reporting did come out of our community, and and then uh, you know it took off from there. So what what made you decide first to start this podcast, and second to choose this topic? Sure. Uh, and like I just said, so I was working in West Valley when Susan Powell originally disappeared in 2009 and I had covered, continued to cover a lot of cases in my career, uh, reporting on news here in Utah. But this was one that really bugged me because we never got any kind of resolution on it. Uh, you know, we still don't know where Susan is and her husband who is believed to have killed her is dead and can't answer any questions her body's in the west desert in pieces so some people think um he's got a good theory we should get to that later uh but but it was really born out of a desire to just answer my own lingering questions about why was this guy never arrested why you know why did we not see the police doing xyz in public uh what did they try what did they not try and I started looking at the, the case files 
after this case was declared cold and realized there was a whole lot of information that we never got along the way. Oh, yeah. Well, and I didn't even know about Michael until your podcast. We we uh, we talked to Sim Gill, actually. He The Josh Powell case came up because that was Something right when about. Sim Gill took office yeah. originally. And he said, you know, the first thing that he did when he took office with that case is say, you guys haven't presented anything to the prosecuting to the DA's office. Like we, we haven't been able to take a look at this case from a full like three sixty like overview and see everything. We've gotten bits and pieces from different DAs, you know, different different attorneys in the office, but no one's actually sat down and looked at the thing as a whole and said, "Can we prosecute this? Can we go after this well, guy?" And he also said the the police and the detectives and the different agencies like weren't even talking to each other. Mm. So there was a. To be clear, they still don't talk to each other very well. (laughs) Who was that body that they just recently found, or something? The one behind Uh, Kmart, because because of the legislation for the for the the cold cases to be shared together. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but even then, that's still just cold cases. True. Yeah, it's it's obviously. I think there's work to be done on the part of not just the police departments and the DA's office, but, uh, you know, the state attorney general's office. And now they're creating a cold case, uh, you know, database where they can go in and, and try to compare notes after the fact. But in active cases, you know, Sim told me, and I'm sure he told you the same thing, that he changed the procedure so that yeah, yeah, going really. forward, they don't want to have this happen again. Because what was what was happening was, you know, Detective A calls the attorney he knows in the DA's office and says, hey, I've got this thing. What do you think? And that DA, based on that one piece, is like, well, no, that's probably not enough. And then a different dude in a different jurisdiction calls a different attorney that he knows. And that guy's like, yeah, that's not enough on its own. But no one was able to. Say, oh, yeah, look, there's a mountain of evidence when combined together <laughs> shows this guy, body or not, fucking killed his wife or at least got rid of her. Yeah, how does that even work? The, late, the guy in Colorado, he's toast and they don't have a body. It's tough, though. I, I think when you look at what a defense attorney could have done with this case, uh, part of what's impressed me doing my deep dive on it is how people connect to certain port parts of the story and and uh if i'm sitting on that jury with 11 other people and the defense attorney is saying well you know here's creepy steve powell the father-in-law who had this not so sexual <laughs> obsession is that enough that one of those people on the jury is going to go mm, yep i think steve might have done it mm. um now now you've acquitted Josh, you know, it's it's a nightmare case. So you see all this you see all this stuff that's not been reported and no one really knows about as you start looking at this. And so you were just like everyone needs to know, so I'm going to do a podcast out of that. I was watching so again, I'm I'm working in radio news mm-hmm. and I'm watching just what's happening to my industry. And serial has blown up and you're starting to see public radios, you know, take on kind of these long form investigations and podcasts. Um, I'm digging through the case files out of my own curiosity and I'm finding references to audio journals and things like that, that I'm thinking these are amazing for audio storytelling if I can get my hands on them. And so I went to my boss, Cheryl Worsley and said, Hey, we, we should go after this stuff, but we shouldn't do it just for like 30 seconds on the radio. Let's, you know, let's swing for the fences and do a big long form, long form project. And what does that look like? And we didn't really know when we set out on that several years ago, uh, how it would come together, but it was definitely me wanting to get in front of 
as broad an audience as I could. Um, you know, like you said earlier, there's a huge group of people up in Washington that connected with this story because Josh killed his kids up there. Yeah, well, and they had a pornographer living up there that was into kitty porn and voyeurism. Right. And, and so... They're not going to hear my story if I put this on KSL on the radio. Right. We've got to do something that has much broader reach. Well, if you put it on KSL, it's going to air at 2 in the morning. Yeah, how, how are they going to do hour-long? <laughs> yeah, right. They can, it's just, they it's can not. do an hour-long yeah. broadcast like that. So how many how many episodes total do you have on, on the, the Josh Powell case? So uh, it ended up being 18 full episodes. Uh, with the, Is this the first actual podcast or interview that you've been able to say, like, yeah. that you're at the end? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every, everyone, all the other ones, you're like, no, I can't, I can't talk about it. For weeks, people were saying, how many episodes is it going to be? And, and the honest answer was it was still moving. Um, I, I had an idea of what it would end up being, and it actually ended up being the same as what I set out to do. But there were times midway through where I thought, I don't know if we're going to be able to get that, you know, to that number. Maybe it ends up being 14, 15. So we didn't want to tell people it was going to be one thing and then deliver something different. Right. And so were you just actively working as you were building the podcast, or did you compile everything and and do all the recording and then start editing for weeks on end to deliver 18 episodes? How was that process? I just want to know also with that, how like how do you approach somebody and be like, can you be the voice of Stephen Powell, please? <laughs> uh, good questions. <laughs> um, so I started writing episodes and kind of outlining things months and months ago. But like the final few episodes, uh, you know, probably... 13 on I didn't have written until maybe a couple weeks before they they were released so from the point that we released our first episode in November of 2018 I was about four weeks ahead and by the time we finished with episode 18 I was zero ahead <laughs> uh, so it, it worked out if we had kept going much longer I, it wouldn't have you'd have had to start doing two and yeah, three weeks apart yeah um, Steve Powell that was a tough ask <laughs> because we you had a few you had a few voice actors we did so we had uh, I had a voice actor for Susan Powell a voice actor for Josh Powell and uh, and then for Steve Powell and the the guy coworker who I asked to do Steve Powell was not uh he was a great sport. Let me put it that way. Come on, look. Steve Powell's <laughs> voice, I've listened to him on recordings, like yeah. actual recordings of him and his songs. You can go into any steakhouse in, in the state of Utah and find at least four dudes that sound just like him. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, but part of the challenge was I didn't want somebody to do a Steve Powell impersonation, yeah. right? And so you could get somebody who talks like Steve Powell, who's really fast, and he's going off on all these crazy tangents. And Have you met Del Shonzi? I actually have met Del Shonzi. <laughs> he's called me. Uh, some derogatory names in the past. He's called everyone derogatory right. names. Uh, outside of the West uh, West Jordan Courthouse years ago. Um, but anyway, yeah, Ken Fall was the, the guy who did Steve, and I thought he knocked it out of the park. He did so good. So that, that's actually, that, that is actually an interesting thing that having voice actors come in for uh, a podcast because that's not that's that's the type of thing that's starting to occur now like highly scripted highly edited shows like this um, versus us which is <laughs> not scripted at all like our interviews uh, we have a list of things that we might want to talk about but they're really just kind of free form conversations we're organic 
And I'm really way too lazy and don't get paid enough because I get paid We're zero. We're non-GMO. So I don't, I don't do a lot of editing. So I edit for sound quality and, and things like that. But very rarely do I cut conversations, unlike the beginning of the show where I messed up your name and cut that out. But normally we don't do that. Normally we just leave that stuff in. So. In fact, there was a time where Jess said something weird that we had to bleep. And instead of bleeping it, we just had Jeremy record some weird things that was very obviously patched in. Yeah, we dubbed someone's address with him saying, Salt Lake City. Nice. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> so it was like very clearly not just. It was comical. It ran as a bit for a while. So um. that's, but that's fun, right? I mean, and I think people, part of the reason that people are coming to podcasting is that very natural sound that a lot of these shows have. Uh, the ability to just talk like people versus I'm going to put on my radio voice and, you know. You play. have a good one, by the way. Well, thank you. Um, but. Actually, I think a scripted show like Cold is very, very much abnormal in the podcasting space right now. I'd agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. There are scripted shows, but I think especially at the level that that is. So, like, there's one that uh, it's a scripted kind of like fake history. So it's like everything's real except for a couple small things that make the the history they're doing fake and they heavily script it and it's from the the how stuff works people are the people that actually produce that for them and i can't remember what the name of it is but there's some shows like that that are incredibly scripted but i still don't think most of them even have anything close to a voice actor yeah it, it's it is calling back a little bit to like old-timey radio where you're going to have characters playing journalistically it's a funny space because we don't do that right yeah. uh you're, you're never going to hear in a radio news story or you shouldn't ever hear in a radio news story somebody playing the voice of like that's that's off limits but well Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, to be fair, you actually did have recordings of these people, like actual recordings as well. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, though, that's the beauty of podcasts is there's no rules. There's no, it doesn't matter. You, there's no rules. It's not like a radio or a TV or something where you have a specific amount of time, things you can, things you can't talk about. That's the beauty of podcasts. I agree. It's whatever you want to. Well, and you're just about. telling a story. And I think so we forget like movies tell stories in a certain way. Books tell stories in a certain way in a book. You like, at least for me, if I'm reading a, a good book, I'm there's voices to the characters in my head as I'm reading it as different characters. And clearly in a movie, there's actors playing those different roles. Uh, and so I, I think it makes sense if you're going to have someone speak as the voice of uh, Susan Powell or, or, fucking weirdo Steve um, that, that you do have someone actually playing that role because even books on tape the people that read books on tape do the same thing the audio books yeah. it's like just it a way to immerse yourself the books on tape when he does the female voices that was the best <laughs> but, but to, to that point right um, I can't do Susan Powell like let's just put that on the table like me reading Susan Powell you're not going to connect with that voice. And every uh, every piece that we used a voice actor for was a direct quote out of something that was written. If I had the audio available from somebody saying something, I used that first. Um, but yeah, it, you needed somebody with an actual female voice right. to, to read those parts. So I'm curious, how, how were you able to get some of that stuff was it just through your contacts or i mean how does you know you don't just hey i want to get these audio tape in well <laughs> in some degree you do um so the west valley city police department 
put out their case file in 2013 uh, redacted. So they went through and they blacked out anything they didn't want to make public. Sure. Um, and that was kind of my roadmap. But there were a lot of mentions in there about other pieces of evidence that were not included. And so my first approach was using Utah's open records law, uh, grandma. And I would go back to the police agency and say, hey, this is an open record and I want access to this. And there are a number of exclusions they can use to try to deny. Um, they sent me on some crazy chases up to Washington and back looking for stuff that was in their evidence room the whole time. Um, hmm. But uh, that that was basically it. Sat but down and have a conversation with them. They weren't BYU's police force, right? <laughs> they were not. Give it to you. Yes. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> uh, we've, we've been having an ongoing I'm sure. Yeah, about the crazy yeah. for, for good reason. Yeah. No, I mean, the, the open record law in Utah, thankfully, is uh, is pretty good. And most agencies are, are responsive to it. And there was a time or two with this one where we didn't see eye to eye with West Valley. And it took some work to convince them to, uh, to, to play along. There were some things that they just flat out would not give. And then it came down to the job of more kind of boots on the ground journalism, developing sources outside that kind of official channel to try to get things uh, hmm. in a non-standard way. So the audio tapes... They let you check them out like a library or you have to listen to them there or how do they? I did have to do that with Steve Powell's, uh, his videos. So I went there and actually digitized those myself. Uh, they didn't even have a, a player that could handle high eight cassettes because who does these days? Um, oh, it's just everybody. I know, right? It's just, it's kicking around in the back. How many, how many secret songs were you able to uncover? Well, so the, the, <laughs> the album, the Light of Seattle album, if I remember correctly, That's has, a meme? oh yes, uh, I believe it has 12 songs. How many wow. downloads does it have on iTunes? <laughs> it's never on iTunes. It was on his MySpace back in the day. Oh, which, so that dates what it. was it? Everything before 2006 is now gone as of yesterday. It's disappointing. What? Well, you didn't hear that? On MySpace. All, yeah, all audio. It's gone. Dang yeah. it. I had some serious rap songs down there. <laughs> <laughs> I know like that. Circa 2001 Chris rap going on on MySpace. I know that X-26 plays that secret song every once in a while. They used to a long time ago. Every yeah. once in a while they'll bring it up and it just gets stuck in your head and all of a sudden you realize you're like coming in you're like oh man what is wrong with me well and the the lyrics that he recorded a lot of people don't know this uh they are the clean versions uh so he had alternate lyrics for a lot of those songs that were much more so you get to listen to all those did you digitize those as well those ones he didn't record, oh, that's good. Uh, but I, but I do have the I do have the lyric sheets for them. Yeah, uh -huh. and and a bunch of songs he never did record that he had just you know. It's unfortunate. It's hey, he just liked to musically express himself, guys. I don't understand the problem. Well, considering you sing everything, <laughs> I understand that, but. Usually yours are only semi creepy. You should see Dave's face right now. <laughs> I, I am wincing just a little bit. Chris sings. I sing everything. everything when I walk around the house. So I can totally imagine how he would but I would never record an album because I know what I'm singing is not meant for anyone else to hear. Well, he also enlisted his sons, both Josh and Michael recorded uh, vocals for him. We don't have those recordings, but they um, Josh backup thought, thought he was was a singer at one point in his life and wrote his own songs. Well, of course he did. Dad told him he was good. Yeah. Well, I have his high school poetry, which shared is also... His, shared his wife with his pops. Very so. enlightening. 
<laughs> Sorry, We're, we will get in. We are going to get into to, to Josh Powell, but I'm I am curious about some of the other stuff. So you you still are employed with employed? KSL, right? Employed. You're employed. You're employed by KSL. Correct? Yes. Yes. And, and they're the ones that produced all this. So how was that? I mean. Maybe it's not all that different for you. Have you done a podcast that's not been produced by a, a, a major people. organization like that? No. Um, I, I toyed around at one point with a friend of mine several years ago. We were going to do a, a podcast where he and I talked about stuff, outdoors stuff, um, but we never actually released an episode. So we recorded a few, but never. And I think that's pretty common as well, right? You try it and then you listen to it and you're like, ooh. Hey. Jeremy was the king of that before he involved us. That's why this one has thrived, though, because all the other ones that I was on didn't make it past 25. 25 episodes for a podcast is the magic number. Most of them do not make it. You know, you shouldn't, mm. you shouldn't throw that out there because his didn't make I'm it. I'm at 18, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're done, right? Yeah, but you're, you're yeah. purposeful, though. I don't know. I, I think we were starting to lose people. If I kept going 19, 20, 30, 45, you know, there's only so much Powell stuff you can listen to. You know, to. I thought that, but then I met these guys that did a Rocky Horror Picture Show podcast. Oh, and they're like, we're on episode 63. I'm like, how the hell? Wow. Like I, there's like Just I could, about Rocky Horror. And they're like hour-long episodes. I'm like, I can see doing like 20 hours maybe, but really 60-something on that show? Are you like... he's not in that. No. no. It feels like it sometimes, but... Like, do you spend an entire episode talking about Frankenfurter's like costume in one scene? Yeah. Do they end every episode making jokes about like let's do the time warp again or how does that work? I mean probably. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so I, that, that that actually brings up a question. So you end every episode with uh, a, a bit about domestic violence, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that came out of honestly interviews with the people who were involved you know i didn't set out with kind of a goal of this is going to be a domestic violence podcast it was talking to susan's dad talking to her friends people who were telling me look we're, we're sick and tired of talking about this in in a sense but the reason we keep doing it is because we keep hearing from people who say oh my gosh susan sounds so much like my sister or so much like my daughter or whatever and uh I had some conversations along the way with uh, some great folks at the Utah Domestic Violence Coalition who, uh, you know, we, we let them listen to some of the Josh Powell audio journals and, and said, what do you think about what you're hearing here? And it just became very clear that the point of telling this story was going to be educational, that what Susan went through is not by any sense unique. Uh, even if it was maybe a, a very egregious case, it's like this is this is something that a lot of people identify with. Well, and what's what's crazy is from the outside looking in, she like they seemingly were okay. She wasn't being abused in a very visible way. Like, but then then stuff that has come out, you know, years since then after after Josh killed himself and his kids. And like the video that she recorded, yeah. Prior prior to her disappearance, the video will. That well, she and her recorded. email, her email and her will that she wrote and kept in her drawer at work. I mean, yeah, you you, you see that stuff and you're like, holy crap! Like she knew. She knew. Well, she, not only did she know, but she was actively being abused. Like you could just tell from those videos that that was going on at some level. But it's it's in, very insidious in that it kind of flies under the radar, yeah. right? It's it's a way of using uh, manipulation and control that other people don't see. And when you come forward as a as a woman or as a spouse in that situation and say, "Hey, look, what's going on here is really bad," 
it's hard for people to believe you when they don't see it. They, there's no physical manifestation of it. So the the call out at the end of every episode, I've had some people ask, you know, hey, was was that sponsored or something like that? It's it's not. It's it comes literally from me going, I don't want to tell this story without including some way because somewhere someone is listening to this story and they're being triggered. Right. And they're going, oh, my gosh, this is me. This yeah. shit was happening to my this. This sounds like something my sister or my neighbor is going yeah. through. Yeah. And so if I don't put something right there in that moment to to try to convince that person to reach out, they will talk themselves out of it. So that that's where that came from. That's and she talked herself out of that all the time. Over like. and over again. Yeah. I mean, and I don't want to second guess too much uh, because the last thing I will ever do is question Susan for staying in her marriage. That's her business. Uh, why she did that, again, her business. But we can learn from it. How did that? I think that's something that I've been super impressed with listening to this podcast is how... Um, just subjective and like very straightforward you've been with all of this there's no interjection there's this is just how it is and i'm presenting you with the facts until the very last episode and it was perfectly presented how after because you clearly read more than any of us will ever see how did you not get emotionally like this is how i feel yeah <laughs> how did you not pound your desk with how, your how did you, yeah. oh how do you stay true to being a journalist yeah 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 <laughs> And, and can you give everyone else some lessons? Yeah. Our journalists, <laughs> some of them are a little questionable. Part, yeah, I mean, I've watched a lot of colleagues over the years who I thought tipped over. They were covering a story they cared about, and they interjected themselves, and I lost you know, any faith in their credibility because of that. And I'm very conscious of that. Um, you know, if people look me up on social media or whatever, I don't talk about politics. I don't talk about religion. Um, certainly I'm a human being. I have my own thoughts and opinions, but I feel very much that I've been entrusted, uh, with a responsibility that I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, kind of break that barrier with people because then it gives, uh, folks who don't disagree with my personal opinions, a reason to discount my reporting. Um, with this case, yeah, it's it's difficult when emotionally you're living with Josh and Steve Powell and you want to reach back in time and sometimes throttle these guys uh, because of what they're saying or what they did. And part of it is just going, you know what? They Their actions will speak for themselves. I don't have to tell someone how to feel about this because it is on its face, uh, you know, very, very bad. Um, you can form your own opinions. Yeah. So, and I actually resisted. I mean, the, the final episode where I kind of laid out my thoughts and feelings about it, I, I had no intention of doing that originally. Uh, that that came around because of the number of people who were on social media going, well, but you're going to tell us what you think, right? <laughs> and, and recognizing us a conclusion. Yeah. Right? I was like, I can't just leave this dangling. Um, but I feel that you gave a really good idea of really what could have happened besides the idea that everyone has that she was just thrown in a mine. Like it just gave something else to really think about. I now, did you end with, and now you know the rest of the story. <laughs> Knowledge is power. Um, <laughs> the more you know. Exactly. <laughs> it, uh, it, it, it's interesting because my, my thoughts about it changed over time. Where I started, even just back in November when I started producing the episodes, uh, what I think happened 
changed and I'm sure it will continue changing uh, because that's the way investigation works. You learn a new piece of information. It challenges something that you might have previously thought. You have to decide what you keep and what you throw away. And a lot of us, I think, made up our minds very early on what we thought happened and have held on to those ideas since, you know, 2009 or 2012. And uh, if we're not being intellectually honest with ourselves and challenging our own beliefs with new facts, uh, we're never going to get to the bottom of what actually happened here. And to a point, you, you can only form your opinion on what you've been told, and you've only been told what the news told you. That's true. Whether that's true or not, whether it's the whole story or not, that's all the general populace has to go by. Well, and outside of, outside of a podcast like this, the news is 30 to 60 seconds that you're going to get. Yeah. And even an in-depth piece in, say, like the Salt Lake Tribune or the Deseret News is going to be, you know, a column, but it's only going to take you 10 minutes to read it. And it's not even that. People, like what you're talking about, don't take the time to, okay, well, I read this story. Now I'm going to go try to find the next story. And then I'm going to try to find the next story to actually be educated about that headline that they just thought that they I'm read. Go download the entire album. Well, we talk about <laughs> Kirby, we talk about that with a lot of things, though. You know, you mentioned you you know you try and stay out of politics and stuff. So I'm not trying to get an opinion about that, but but just people just listening to leftist news, rightist news. They're not they're not trying to make that whole picture and and try and glean the facts of it and create their own opinion. They're letting a lot of other people form their own opinions for them, yeah. and so. That's why I think we give you such kudos is you may have said it at the end, but you did. You waited until everybody else kind of got to form what they thought before you said what you thought. No, I listened to the last episode first. Because <laughs> he reads one, the You're end. one of those kind of people. <laughs> um, and and it's, not to say, it's not to say that I'm right. I, I'll be the first to tell you that, you know, what I threw out there is it's a theory. There are other plausible theories. And... Someone can disagree with me, and great, because we can debate it. Um, we can challenge one another's ideas respectfully, right, without having to, to call each other names and, well, you're stupid, you know. Um, and that's the, way we, that's the way we learn and move forward. It's not by retreating to our positions and entrenching. Uh, it, it's engaging in thoughtful debate respectfully and being willing to also look at our own kind of preconceived notions and say, you know what, I'm going to shift. I'm going to change my position because I've learned something new. How do you handle, because obviously the podcast is, is fairly popular. How do you enter, how do you handle all the interaction that you, you get through social media, through comments, through reviews? Uh, it's a work in progress. <laughs> I'm not, uh, I've never been super comfortable being a quote unquote personality. You know, again, I, I've always just liked reporting. And then one of the things that's great about the radio is people don't recognize you, you know, like the way they would on TV. So you, you have that anonymity. Uh, this has changed that. A, a big part of it for me is acknowledging uh, people invested a lot of time to listen to this. I mean, uh, and spending 18 hours with my voice in your head, you probably feel like you know me more than I know you. So I, I have to bridge that gap when you come and, and want to talk to me about the podcast or whatever. It's, it's recognizing 
emotionally we've connected even if I don't realize it and, and trying to stay respectful to that. You listen to 18 hours of me. I want to know. <laughs> so once a week on Fridays, you would do like a, a session, a live session on Facebook. How did you or how do you still, since you said it's a work in progress, handle the people that are like, why are we still talking about this? Why don't you just let it rest? Yeah, I, I hear that. And I understand it. Um, I, if somebody doesn't want to listen to it, again, great thing about the podcast, you don't have to subscribe to it. You don't have to download it. Right. And, and if you feel like this is just flogging, you know, the dead horse, proverbial, uh, proverbial dead horse, then just don't engage it. Um, I feel pretty confident that the work has benefited Susan's family and her friends. And even members of law enforcement who worked the case who've never been able to talk about it. Now, basically this has kind of opened up for them to, to chat about it. And so, yeah, you want to come at me on social media and say, well, you're just trying to profit off of, you know, murder and mayhem and dead people. That's fine. I'll, I'll take that. Um, because I'm confident in my work. And for anyone that thinks you're profiting off of this as a podcast, you totally quit your yeah. mainstream you job. Try, try. You may be employed by KSL. They may be helping produce it, but I promise you, they're not profiting from this podcast necessarily. Though I don't make a dime more now than I did before I did the podcast. But you do go on a lot more shows now, don't That's you? True. Yeah. I pay my own way. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that. Went and did Doctor Oz, and you know, yeah, that was not a Doctor Oz didn't pay you to go there. No. No, but uh, rude. Well, a lost opportunity for him. For me, it uh, it's all about getting this story in front of as many people as possible. Yeah. You know? Well, and that's something that you've done this whole way. You've done all of your travel, all everything on your own. Yeah, a lot of people. <laughs> so, so let me give you an example. Um, I wanted to go up to Oregon to talk to the the guy Dave Lindell, who runs this auto shop where Josh's brother Michael trashed his car a couple weeks after Susan disappeared. And uh, so I cold called him, introduced myself, and uh, said, hey, I'd like to come up and talk to you. There's no international airport in Pendleton. You know, I could fly to Boise. I could fly to Seattle, Portland. But you're still going to have to drive. And it was like, well, why waste the money to do that? So I took a KSL station vehicle, and I drove up there. Uh, and then on the way, I'm trying to remember, the way to or way back, uh, stopped at a stopped at a motel like a you know $50 middle of nowhere motel <laughs> this was not Stores fancy on um, sleeping on yeah. the outside of the covers right <laughs> where like I think they were like remodeling the room next door so all night long you hear you know this kind of thing <laughs> um, and then spent the other night sleeping basically in the in the car at a rest stop in southern Idaho Josh Powell style uh, because this was the way I could do this and do it, uh, you know, on the budget that we had to work with. So, yeah, it, and and we did fly back and forth to Seattle a couple times and things like that. So it's not that KSL wasn't willing to spend the money when it made sense, but um, there were certain pieces of the story I felt strongly about that I needed to get that I couldn't make the case uh, why it was worth, you know, necessarily expending all of that to to do it fancy style well at the end of the day you have to it's not like ksl has this endless supply of money that they just shell out for nothing so they're you like have to, you here have here's thousands of dollars do with it what you will well and they've never done anything like this this was untested brand new it was something that i pitched and presented and believed in and still believe in 
but that did require a big investment on their part, and it was a huge roll of the dice. And that that being said, I I feel like it was probably fairly successful. I don't know how they see it. Um, is there a future in doing more stuff like this outside of just that case? I think so. Uh, I, I hope they would agree. I mean, uh, is, is it going to turn into a big moneymaker for KSL? Probably not. Um, but, you know, I, I will say to KSL's credit, they believe very strongly in doing the type of reporting that can be uh, impactful in our communities. And they are willing to go in the red on the right project um, and subsidize that through other means if it has a, a benefit to the community. That's really good to hear. It's good to hear. They're not just a classifieds ad. Yeah. <laughs> I used to work on the radio desk, and you'd get those phone calls. Hey, I got a problem with my classified ad. And it's like, oh, my gosh. I get another <laughs> like, I'm a freaking news radio guy. like, you have a guy. team for that. Uh-huh. <laughs> what you need to do is email them. <laughs> they have their own phone number, you know. Yes, it's KSL, but that's not us. It is pretty impressive how how amazingly huge KSL Classifieds is. Oh, my to, gosh. To be completely off subject, like, <laughs> it is not just a Utah thing. Like, people get on that site from all over the place. It is it is like eBay on steroids, but without all the bureaucracy. Can you imagine the Craigslist people trying to break into Salt Lake and just yeah. being like, yeah, why are we even trying? Well, exactly. Like, you know, <laughs> Craigslist never really took hold here because no. KSL already existed. Much. And it's way easier to type. I still use it sometimes. I, I will say Facebook Marketplace has done yeah, has I, done a pretty it's good. Yeah, there's good a sub button at the top of your Facebook. Yeah. Well, and and people like I will say the one big drawback. Hopefully, no one from KSL hears this. Is that uh, there are a lot of there are a lot of people who are scamming on yeah. KSL classifieds. But that's the case everywhere, and that is yeah, so hard to 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 actually monitor and. There's a ton of people that, that that do bogus crap on eBay every day. That's true. So it's it's really tough to to wrangle that stuff in. So especially when it's free, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, so what uh, what's the craziest thing that's happened to you as a result of doing this podcast? As like a interaction as with a, a listener, or uh, there are some super fans. Who what does that are, mean? Uh, Can you define that for a cold podcast? This is a super fan. Well, look, he's in a space. Just to be clear, <laughs> the cold podcast, this this whole idea of doing true crime reporting, that is, if you look at the metrics for podcasts globally, Murderinos yeah. that is, is number called. one. Murder porn is murder their porn. favorite yeah. thing on my, the planet. My daughters both watch murder porn. Yeah. And, and, and like, podcasting-wise, the true crime podcasts, they're all of them are at the top. They beat out every other show out there. So, and I'm not going to, like, lie and tell you that I didn't see that before starting this project, right? There's an audience there that I well, think... Well, I would expect that you saw that if you're a good journalist. Right. So, <laughs> so when we're choosing where we're going to invest our time and resources, recognizing that there is a an audience that is hungry for stories, but we can do it in a way that is different. It's respectful in my mind, uh, more so than some of those shows, less flash, you know, more substance. Um, it's, it's been interesting that some of the, the fans of the show um, want to know me personally, in some cases in a, 
in a Steve Steve Pound. in a romantic in a romantic way. I want to write songs about you? Yeah, that, that part's been a little. Would you say love you in a secret way? Yeah, um, it's flattering, but it's also incredibly uncomfortable. So. Maybe that, this should be the name of this episode. I'm gonna love you. Flattering, this flattering, but uncomfortable. extremely uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it, I don't want. I don't want to. I don't want to be rude to anybody because it's. It is no, very but but people nice. tend to cross boundaries. I think when when they like when you they mentioned earlier, they know you. It's because yeah. they think they know you. It's because right. they listen to all these episodes, and well, I listen to you all the time, so I know you. They don't understand. Well, going the other direction, I don't know you at all. And. Uh, to go along, and do you do they really know you? To, I mean, well, to go along with that, like yes, for the last six months, this is all I've talked about. But my whole life has not been the Powell case, right? <laughs> Wait, you mean you were born, you went to high school? I, yeah, the Powell case was not part of your life back then. I have hobbies. What? Um, I used to have a cat. You know, it's like, Aww. can we talk about things that aren't? Susan Powell, everyone. So you want to talk about? Yeah, what are your hobbies? Cat? No, let's not. Okay. <laughs> I was just wondering because you bring it up, you're like, let's. I had, I had I, a cat. I'm, let's talk about other things. I'm besides. in a little bit of a sensitive place because uh, I had a stray cat come into my yard the other day, fell in love with this freaking cat, and then I went and did the responsible thing and had it checked for a chip. And of course, it was a little runaway, and oh. I reunited it with its family. See, that's nice, though. And I regret it. Do you want so, to no, do you, you cannot give away my cat. There's, there's one no. behind our water heater. Is there? Over there yeah. She hides over there. Uh, She's super sweet. So yeah. if I'm a little, you know, yeah, I'm just, if you, honestly, though, if you want a cat, there's these animal shelters here in the state. I yeah. don't know if you've been to any of them, there's always good cats. There's a big event coming up. It's a cat adoption and you can get a cat tattoo, too. A cat tattoo at the adoption? Yeah. Wow. Dave seems like the kind of guy that would get a yeah. cat tattoo. Yeah, right in his lower back. You don't know he's got long sleeves on? Just get a cat face, like, right here. Yeah, your neck. face tattoo. Or I just mean. get some whiskers tattooed. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. That's good for broadcasting. He's on the radio. It's on the radio. It yeah, no one would recognize do you. Have, do you have any, my anonymity. Do you have any aspirations to be beyond the radio and podcast and to do maybe video podcasts or, or be on TV as a news anchor? Uh, I've never really cared to do TV. I'll do it when I have to to support. So you can get whiskers. Yeah, probably. Yeah, for those up <laughs> Sure, why not? <laughs> those wheels are turning over there. He's like, I don't know if I can get away with this. Are you married yet? No. You probably want to wait on the whiskers. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, the super fans. I mean, they might. There is a group of of women that really like men that look like furries. So. <laughs> This podcast has gone completely off the rails. <laughs> have you ever been to Anime Bonza? Up in, up in the lake? I have not. It's pretty fun. Get some whiskers. You'll be, you'll be, you'll Hashtag you'll be, get some whiskers. How much are they kicking back for that plug right there is what I want to know. <laughs> not a dime. They're, they com- they're completely what? non-profit. They, they don't have any sponsors. So are we. Yeah, they, they. There you go. It's a, it's a council that puts it on. It's not one big investor or anything like that. It's it's amazing what they do with that, that, that convention Look, up there. You have a new hobby. That's you cool. Didn't even know it. I had somebody on Twitter uh, laugh at me based on my description of the... Uh, very distasteful cartoon images that were found on Josh Powell's computer saying, ha, 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 listen to this guy try to explain hentai. And, and I, had I to, just recently learned what that was. And I had to pop in and go like, it, I know what it is. I have to explain this to somebody because who somebody else doesn't. has no idea. Because let right. me be clear, like M- Sally Mormon, Molly Mormon, whatever her name is, that is in Utah that is interested in this podcast or someone in the upstate New York 
50 years old has never heard of him. You right. say that, and I am not any of those things, and I didn't know what that was yeah. until last week. My, my guiding star has always been, I want my mom to be able to listen to this podcast, right? And she's not going to have any concept that this is a thing. So I'm going to explain it to her, uh, to my audience the way I would to her, you know, sitting over the kitchen table on a, on a is, Sunday afternoon. That is really up. Okay, so I, I want to. <laughs> I can't. Not I can't, that that's something we talk about. No, but I can't not get into this now. So, so we do a segment once a month now on the show, um, specifically about infamous Utahns. So we've done Butch Cassidy and, and did Ted. Uh, Ted Bundy. Good old Ted. Um, yeah. You know, we're we're gonna be talking about people. We just do it once a month because our show's all about Utah and the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we've got some really ugly people here. Um, I think Josh Powell qualifies. <laughs> And, and as an ugly a, person, or as a yes, okay, as oh. a creep and as a freaking weirdo. Look, he's a, whether or not you believe he murdered his wife and did something with his body, uh, his body, her body, whatever. Whether or not you believe that, there's no doubt that he hacked his young children and then blew them up in a house with him. I think, as you said, he is still a murderer. That is true. He's still a murderer of small innocent children, and so arguably, that's the worst crime. Yeah. Yeah, you know, not that we want to compare because any loss of life is is right. tragic, but uh, the brutality with which he killed his own kids is beyond the pale. Yeah, yeah, because at least you could fathom like being so angry with another adult that okay, you go crazy, maybe something bad happens. How do you do that with a child? Like, yeah, there, there's there's no excuse for it. Um, I'm sorry. We- no, you're you're fine. You're fine. So I, I want to talk about some of the details of of what we're happened. incorporating you into our into our segment. segment. I love it. Like I don't yeah. I, I don't want to go into the the nitty gritty and the weeds because there's 18 episodes of your show that people can go listen to for that. Um, but I, I want to know a few things. So the first thing I want to know is what is the craziest thing that you uncovered that you either talked about or didn't talk about on your show when you were doing all this investigation? Because you. You opened up a bunch of doors that no one else had been able to look behind. Yeah. Uh, I have to be careful here because uh, some of this goes to off-the-record stuff. But uh, I'll share with you, there was an experience that was not included in detail in the podcast. I mentioned it briefly in the first episode. And it revolved around a woman who Josh Powell had tried to date uh, several months before he met Susan. And he was living in Washington and drove his his uh, minivan down to Utah on the claim that he was coming down here to go to general conference. But he had met this girl on a website, an LDS dating website, and wanted to take her out. Was that FarmersOnly.com? I think this predated <laughs> FarmersOnly. Um, so he, he comes down here. He, he meets this woman, and they go on a couple dates. He writes in his journal about, uh, you know, after one of their dates, he goes to the Provo Temple and, and goes through a session, and he's looking at this uh, couple that are, you know, in the temple and, and imagining that it's him and this, this young lady. And he's uh, only met her in person once. Like once or twice, yeah. Wow. So um, I figure out who this woman is. And one afternoon, I find a phone number for her and I just cold call her and she, it sounds like she's in the car like passenger with uh, presumably her husband and kid at the time and I explained this is who I am and I'm calling to talk to you about Josh Powell I'd like to discuss you know you're dating Josh Powell and she says what are you talking about 
And I explain myself again in a little more detail. This is how I came to find you. I, you know, looking through these files and I've identified that you, uh, you at one point dated Josh Powell. And she says, you're joking. This is, this is a prank you're putting, you're putting me on. No, I'm not. Again, let me explain to you. And, and we go through it and she, uh, she says, oh my gosh. Um, that guy was Josh Powell, the Josh Powell. And I said, she hadn't ever put she, it together. She had never connected that <sighs> this guy. So I just got the chills. That's crazy. She, she shared a few things with me. Um, just the, the first memories that came to her head about, you know, these couple of dates with him and, uh, what she told me, I thought was extremely interesting. And I was very interested in, getting her on the record so that I could incorporate what she's telling me into this story. And so I said, well, let's do this. Um, because she becomes almost hysterical. She goes into shock and is like crying on the phone. Oh, I, yeah. So I feel horrible, right? Here I am. I just, <laughs> I, I came into she's your life. She's going to dinner with her husband. Well, one and moment she's, she's singing along to the radio about, you know, this, this is like almost 20 years later. Yeah, and, and so you can imagine wow. someone randomly calls you 20 years later and says, Hey, remember that guy that you went on like two dates with off a website in 19, you know, 99, 2000, whatever. I want to talk to you about that guy because he turned out to be a, a wife murderer and child and child killer. killer right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a shock. That's a that's a wow. big shock. And uh, so I wanted to give her some time to process and not push her. You know, so anyway, um, she said, well, I'm going to go home and kind of go back through some things and see if I still have any emails or any of that. Uh, when I connected with her again, she very clearly stated she wanted nothing to do with any of this. Um, she, she says, I don't know him. I didn't, you know, I didn't have anything to do with him. We didn't have a relationship. This was just a weird guy. And so I felt really bad. Um, but that experience for me of, of just bombshelling her the way that was, that was one of the most profound things that, uh, that happened behind the scenes for me. Well, cause I mean, I mean, if you think about it from her perspective, like the dude's like, she's like a normal person. She goes out on this date with this dude. He turns out to be pretty damn creepy. Maybe she goes on a second date with him to confirm that. And she's like, I ain't never talking to this dude again. Yeah. And he's gone and you don't ever think about it again. Like, yeah, you, you write it off as you forget their weirdo name. Guy. Like there's, there's plenty of people I've dated. I don't really remember too well because it was like one date and I kind of remember who they were, but didn't mesh. You very clearly recognize that this is not somebody you want to spend time with. Yeah. And it's not necessarily that they're a bad person or anything. Just something tells you, yeah, it's not for me. Um, Luckily, in, she did. In this case, right? Yeah. she's. I mean, she she did express that she thought he was weird and, and that she was uncomfortable around him, mm. um, which given all we know, your your radar is working as it should. Did, did he introduce her to his dad right away? <laughs> I don't think so. She did have a nickname for him that I don't know that I'm at uh, liberty to share. But uh, off there, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that, that's interesting. So okay, so let's talk a little bit about the, the case in general because if you live under a rock and you've never heard of this case before, um, back in 2011 is that when it came out? When it all started happening? Nine. 2009. Originally, okay, yeah. 2011 is when he moved up to Oregon. Well, right? so he moves. So I'll I'll lay this out for you real quick. Uh, Give us that, just a 
the tree the shell the shell you bet uh susan powell disappears december 2009 uh by january 2010 josh her husband has moved from utah to his dad's place in washington uh west valley city police department clearly believes from the beginning that josh is responsible uh all of the circumstantial evidence points to him being responsible because just just out of to, to kind of play the scene out so she's reported missing, not by her husband, right? But by her, her sister, her family, and it, coworkers who she didn't show up for work. It's so, it's Josh's sister. So what happens is Josh has gone on a, a camping trip in the middle of the night in a December snowstorm in Utah. Like it because you know that happens all the what, time. Right. By the way, no one camps in December in Utah folks. with a two year old. And a, I, I've done it and. Josh Powell is not the kind of person who does it. Did, did you do it as an experiment for this, or do you, did you just do it because you're crazy? So I am crazy. Uh, I've, what, were I've, you fishing with a cabin? I know. I, uh, so, I mean, I've backpacked in southern Utah in February that's, and November. That's different. I've car camped in the West Desert in, in December. It can be done, and there are people who do it, but... You don't do it with a two-year-old and a four-year-old. Yeah. And you, and you don't do it on a whim in the middle of the night. On a Sunday night. Sunday night. Yeah. Like, so anyway, so okay. she doesn't she doesn't come home, basically. She doesn't come back. So she gets reported missing like two days later, essentially. So what happens is Josh, uh, Josh is gone. The kids don't show up for daycare on that Monday morning. The daycare provider goes, well, that's not right. Goes to the house. There's fresh snow on the ground. Nobody's been in or out. The doors are all locked. So she calls her emergency contact, with the, which is Josh's sister. And uh, Josh's mom, who lives with his sister, then calls the police. And so they, uh, about, you know, uh, I want to say like 10 o'clock that, that Monday morning, um, recognize there's something going on. They're afraid that the family's inside Yeah, they the do house a safety and, check thinking yeah. maybe they were carbon monoxide, carbon monoxide right? Like yeah. So they break into the house and find some weird shit. They find, well, it's interesting because... Obviously, the family's gone. The minivan's not there. But you've got these two box fans in the living room that are pointed at the foot of the couch, which has been very recently cleaned. And uh, there's no sign of a struggle. They find Susan's wallet, purse, all car keys. Personal stuff. All yeah. that stuff is there. And so clearly the the idea that Susan has, you know, maybe left of her own will, uh, you know, leaving Josh is is very easily ruled out by that. Uh, she we also find out, you know, within about a week of that, that she had a safe deposit box where she had been making preparations for divorce and had, you know, stashed personal documents and, uh, you know, several hundred dollars in, in cashier's checks and things like that. If she had needed to escape, she would have taken that, which only, again, solidifies the idea something happened to her that night. Because something had to have been going on for her to start. Because... I don't. I, I don't. Say, Brie, yeah. You don't have one of those, right? Like, well, not that I'm telling you about. <laughs> Smart, but I mean that's not that's not normal to have like a go bag, basically, right? Uh, which is what uh, essentially you're describing. Should, you should check with Heather just in case. Yeah, and, and, and so you know, on top of all that, you know, Josh has not reported her missing. Josh himself is missing, and then he shows up, and then he tells the story of going camping, and so. Of course, he's a suspect. Like, yeah. how how can he not be a suspect? Yeah, no, very clearly. Uh, it, it, and when you listen to the police interviews with him on that night that he came back and the next morning, uh, there's no doubt in the minds of the police that Josh is 
in some form responsible or has knowledge and he resists every traditional method of of uh, basically intimidation or you know any of those investigative techniques uh if you think about sitting down with a police detective it's not like tv where they're gonna you know grab you by the lapels and shake they you can't do that <laughs> but when you sit in a room with somebody for four hours who is asking you very pointed questions um, and talking you in circles. And most people are going to break down. They're going to get tired. They're going to get emotional. They want this to be over, and they are going to respond a certain way. And Josh Powell, being the, the person that he is, does not respond the way normal people would respond. Well, and he's not like he's not showing emotion that his wife is missing. None. None at all. Uh, has no concern. Uh, very flippantly tells the police that they should go look for her at beauty supply stores because you know she was a cosmetologist. Um, just, it's just so wild. No concern. Like, it's insane. It's insane. Then yes. he clearly was not a sane individual doing some of the stuff that that he he for sure did. So he moves away, and a body was never found. Body never found. Uh, it it becomes a very interesting case because now you get the FBI involved, the U.S. Marshals involved. Because uh, he's now in a different state. Different state. West Valley is using. Um, they end up using electronic. GPS tracking on vehicles, a lot of eyes on surveillance. They go so far later in the investigation to secure a wiretap on uh, the phones for Josh and his dad. Uh, they start recognizing that Josh has a very close relationship with his brother and that they're talking a lot about the case. Uh, ultimately, Josh loses custody of the kids because uh, it becomes public that his his dad is a pervert uh, so does that come about because of all the wiretaps I mean, how, how do they because it's 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 related but not exactly how do they figure out his dad's got some issues it was really interesting uh his so josh's dad has susan's journals and he has this obsession with susan uh childhood journals i should i should mention so stuff that she wrote when she was you know 12 13 14 should 15 he has years old. no business having nobody has any business um yeah everybody you should probably burn those journals if you have them don't give them to your father <laughs> most father-in-laws don't want them first of all how did he get them if your father-in-law wants Josh them, had them get away from him and call the police and say i need a restraining order yeah right <laughs> so so steve powell had been stealing those journals when he had opportunities in the past once susan disappeared josh brought those with him up to washington and just gave him over to daddy uh, here you go dad read all what about kind of relationship wife. is that like Very that he's got to have with his dad to do that that's just they started going through uh annotating those scanning them and they were uh putting them piece by piece online to try to paint a picture of susan as somebody other than who she was trying to suggest that she was you know promiscuous and abusive of her kids and all this by cherry picking things out of her teenage journal it's kind of nonsense. It's a total Weird. out of context. Yes. Um, that gives the police an in because Steve Powell went on national television and said, hey, we've got important evidence in this case. It's in these journals. Uh, that became grounds for a search warrant. To where, go get the journals. Yep. Yeah. And so in August of 2011, here come West Valley police with a, a bunch of detectives and a trailer, and they raided Steve Powell's home. Yeah, that was that was huge because the, the case had gone, you know, from a media perspective, had gone really cold by that point. Like, no one had talked about it at all for a year and a half. Right. And it was on 
on national news every night for for weeks when it first broke. Yeah. And, and so it goes quiet, and then boom! Now all of a sudden you have national news again because you have this you know state to state police force like from Utah going to Washington, which and, doesn't happen very often. No, almost never. Yeah. Well, and it was all part of a strategy. One of the things we learned in the cold podcast uh, we put out there was that there was an operation. Um, there was a big search out in Ely, Nevada. There was a honking wave event up in Washington. And then suddenly, boom, here's the search of Steve Powell's home. It all happened one, two, three, four, five, you know, for us publicly seeing it in the news. Um, we were able to obtain the documentation that showed, oh, yeah, the police planned it that way because they wanted to get Josh and his dad talking on this wiretap. It was part of that um, that strategy. And, of course, it changed the entire face of the case because now Josh loses his kids and they enter into the, the custody uh, fight up in Washington State. And that ultimately leads to a supervised visit in uh, February of, of 2012 where uh, Josh lured the kids ahead of the social worker and uh, killed them in the house there. Yeah, that the call worker. was probably one of the hardest things to listen to. That poor, I'm saying this very lightly, stupid dispatcher. Oh, it's, it's agony. <laughs> it is so hard. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you said he had been reprimanded. He did receive a reprimand. Uh, so for anybody who hasn't heard it, uh, the visitation supervisor, she called 911, uh, smelling gasoline, hearing the kids in the house, and is just pleading for help. And the dispatcher on the other side, uh, a man named David Lovrak, was unsympathetic, to say the least. And it, it is one of the hardest things for me to, even today, to listen to, knowing what it is, uh, just makes you so angry. They're just wasted time. You're just like... Well, I mean, and the reality is that probably wouldn't have made a difference. No. It, so. would, it wouldn't have. Uh, if you look at the timeline, there was no way anybody at that point could have, have done anything. But uh, in your worst moment, right, here's a woman who is witnessing these two boys that she's been helping care for for months uh, basically be murdered. And... The one thing you need in that moment is somebody who is going to show you care and compassion and tell you that it's okay and that people are coming to help you. Yeah. Did you have a chance to talk to, to her, to that worker? Uh, no. In fact, I hadn't, uh, I hadn't talked to her. A lot of the folks up in Washington, I, because of what happened, I, I found that a lot of them, even just friends and stuff, uh, didn't, didn't want to talk. Um, there's also some pending litigation that that basically caused all of the social workers in Washington to clam up um, because it's not been fully adjudicated yet. So so fast forward to today. So obviously Josh dies at that point. Uh, Steve gets found guilty of possession of, of child pornography and voyeurism and, and, and a few counts. He served, what, seven years, I think? He ended up, well, was, he ended up doing two different terms uh, without getting too deep into the technicalities. He served a, a few years. So he goes into jail in, uh, you know, end of 2012. He's out by, uh, if I remember right, uh, 2013, 14. And then he goes back in for like another year and a half. And, and he gets out. He's dead. Dies of natural causes like a year after he gets out of jail. Yep. Uh, and then the brother, and this is the thing that's interesting because during the whole time this was actually being actively investigated and talked about, like when it first happened, and even when you get out to, you know, what happened with Josh, 
the brother Michael, wasn't that his name, Michael? Mm-hmm. Not mentioned hardly at all in the news. Yeah. And there's a there's a pretty tight connection to what happened and him and like you said with 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 his car and stuff. Basically, the investigators now say the the West Valley Police Department now says, yeah, we think he was part of disposal of that body. The the theories on his involvement, um, they kind of run the gamut. Some some detectives think he was really actively involved. Uh, you know, the the lead detective on this case told me he he's not so sure that it was it was that active. Um, but you're right, we didn't we didn't really know much about Michael in. When he took his own life in uh, in 2013, I remember I was sitting on the, the radio news desk at KSL when that came across. And it was like, what is going on here with yeah, this like, family? Right. It's like brother kills himself and his kids. And now this dude's committing suicide like a year later. Yeah. Like, and didn't he try to take out a... A policy or something with his brother's death. So Josh had had uh, huge life insurance policies on himself, on Susan, and on their kids. And when, so a few months before Josh did what he did, killing the kids and himself, he went and changed the beneficiaries on those policies to basically give all the money to his brother Michael. And so Josh dies and Michael and his younger sister, Alina, then went and basically laid claim to that insurance. And it kicked off this huge legal fight uh, because the insurance company is going, whoa, 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 whoa. we're not going to pay out life insurance on a murder suicide thing. Well, and they also recognize that if they pay out to the Powells, Susan's family is going to sue them and vice versa. Yeah, exactly. So they, they don't want to be in a position of having to make that call. They want the court to decide. Um, so to have Michael take his own life right in the middle of that was very perplexing. Um, it comes out as we do a little more research and we learn about the wiretap and some of these things that, you know, Josh and Michael had been, uh, in very close communication. They had been overheard on the wiretap talking about some of this stuff. Uh, we learned and reported through the, the cold podcast that, uh, Michael, and Josh had created a fake Facebook account so that they could spy on groups dedicated to finding Susan, uh, this phony persona that they had created, this Molly Hunt account. And uh, we were able to actually take that account over and go in and verify by looking at the IP addresses and timestamps that they had been, you know, Michael at the time was in Minneapolis and Josh was obviously up in, uh, in the Puyallup area. And you can see that reflected in the IP logs for that account. It was pretty fascinating. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's insane. I feel like him asking for the coordinates of the car was like a big red flag that he was guilty. Yeah. Yeah. So so the backstory in that, right? Um, the, the police department learns that Michael trashed his car. By this point, it's September of 2011. That car has been at that lot for almost two years. And what are the odds it's still going to be there? This is a business who they're, you know, they sell parts and then they crush cars and they recycle them. Yeah. So it's normally not going to be there more than maybe a few months. So the, the police go up and sure enough, that car's there. A cadaver dog goes right to it and is very interested in the trunk area of the car. So the West Valley Police Department throws it on a, a flatbed and they bring it back here, try to get any DNA evidence. There's no useful DNA evidence. But what they do is go confront Michael and uh, they surprise him. He's attending the University of um, 
uh, Minnesota, and they tell him something to the effect of, you know, hey, we know you dumped your car. And what does Michael do? He, you know, with I say immediately within a few weeks, he's contacting a satellite imaging company saying, I need you to give me images of this lot in Oregon. And it has to be after October when they've come and talked to me. So he's trying to verify, is it still there? Did they take the car? Did they take the car? Yeah. And uh, that that says a lot. If you're not guilty, why do you care? Yeah. You sold this car for a hundred bucks. What does it matter to you? You sold it for a hundred bucks a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Like this. So I know this sounds weird, but I've always wondered, did the couch and the fans ever have any, did they ever prove anything with that? Or was it just another one of the weird coincidences that. There are a lot of theories. Um, you have to account for it, right? If we're trying to figure out what happened to Susan, it mattered enough that Josh, before leaving that night, For cleaned it. camping trip. Right. Well, the, well, you know, you clean your couch before your camping trip because then you have time to let it dry. No, I remember when, this, when, <laughs> when the story was actually happening, they actually went out to the dump at one point. Wasn't it this this case that they went out to the dump and they were they were digging around the dump looking for uh, basically some rolled up carpet? And no, that's that's uh, that's Lori Hackett. Oh, that's right. Similar, that's right? And there, the, the crazy thing is, there is crossover between that case and this one. Um, you know, it turns out Susan worked at the same place that Lori worked when she disappeared, and some of her coworkers knew both of them. They never knew each other. Um, you know the Ellis Maxwell, the lead detective on this case, he was actually <laughs> out of out of the now. dump <laughs> helping search for Lori, and Josh made comments to people because he had seen the news coverage of the Lori hacking murder. That because that uh, was in what two thousand and seven. It was earlier than that. Um, it was around. I want to say it was around the same time that uh, that Josh and Susan moved to Utah, which would have been two thousand four. Um, Man, that was way off. <laughs> yeah, but boy, you started an interesting it's, line of conversation. It's fascinating to see how, because Josh loved true crime TV. He loved these shows and he watched the news and he was always, uh, he knew how to do it better. Right. That was his thing is he would tell people, oh, you know, Mark, Mark Hacking was an idiot. He did it wrong. Here's how you do it. Um, it's like Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy did that to his congregation members. He's learning. Yeah. He probably he probably uh, read some of the Ted Bundy cases, like so. But nothing ever came of the couch. So there's nothing they could prove off that. I just right. remember that being like this key piece. Bleach is a good cleaner. They front. They took that thing back to the West Valley Police uh, Evidence Room and they tore apart. it apart. Mm. Uh, I've been told that it is. They still have it, and it's just basically the frame because they wow. ripped everything off of it. Trying to get DNA out of yeah. it and. And they did find. I mean, there was a there was a small swipe of Susan's blood on that couch, uh, up high on the headrest. What does that tell us? I mean, it's not a lot of blood, and yeah, it's that 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 goes into that category of there's so many other things that could cause that blood, but you can't really use well, it for evidence. A bloody nose, uh, anything. Right. I mean, paper cut. You want to jump to conclusions, there. but if you're being honest. Exactly. So what's so really what's next? So it sounds like you want to keep doing this sort of long form broadcast journalism via podcast. Do you have another case in mind that you want to 
really dig into. I don't know if there's another case that's going to give you 18 episodes. Maybe one will give you 30. <laughs> well, we got to get over that, what, 25? Yeah. Is that what you said? Yeah. We got seven uh, at least. The pressure is on. It's, it's, there are a number of cases, stories that I've covered that I'm personally interested in. We've had people coming forward with their own personal, you know, family stories saying, please help us. And in some cases, wow. that's folks like, you know, other parts of the country or whatever that would be very difficult for me to do um so we're we're, we're gonna have a i think a talk about what makes sense where do we go from here how what worked well for for telling the story what could we do better uh i have a, a, a list of names in my mind cases that i'm personally interested in um i don't want to throw those out yet uh, you don't want someone to steal them? No, I, I, well, there is that. But more than anything, I don't want to, because these people have families, yeah. right? And you don't want to say, hey, we're going to do it and then not do it. Yeah. So, um, but that's to come. I mean, the response to cold has been so incredible. That, it's really well done. It's really, really well done. Well, and I appreciate that. It, it's, it's, been, it's been a passion I'm not emotionally ready to dive right in on another one right now. Well, like you said, when you started this one, you had already done tons of work. You were four weeks ahead of the beginning. Yeah, so. yeah. So, so we got to be realistic about what we can do. Um, but it's it's been such an amazing experience for me that I can't imagine not trying to do a second season, especially if if KSL is going to continue to back it. Right. Well, yeah, imagine if we got a facility like that to record in. Well, not only that, but I'm sure being able to call and, and say, you know, this is Dave with KSL. That helps. To, it helps hey, a this lot. is Dave. As opposed to, hey, this is Dave. I'd like to see the police reports. As opposed to, this is Dave with KSL. I'd building like building trust. I mean, having having the institution behind me, yeah, that helps a lot. Um, and then they know it's going to a reputable source. It's not just some... Yeah, it's not just some another wacko that's going to do some strange it's thing. It's not that. just Steve number two trying to record more journalists. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of... I mean, and that's not to say that there aren't freelance journalists out there working on projects, okay. right? But, um, yeah, I'm very grateful for the doors that they're working. On the other hand... I will say there are people who they have their perceptions about KSL uh, presumed bias or, you know, they don't like the ownership or whatever else that sometimes that can be an impediment sure. as well. Uh, so you take the good and the bad. So I, I want to know as much as you want to divulge, what are your opinions about the case? Now that you've done your opinion episode. Mm -hmm. um, or theories or whatever you... It, it's so it's no surprise to anybody that like Josh killed Susan, right? <laughs> if, if I came out in episode eighteen, it was like surprise everybody. I think outside of Josh, Michael, and Steve, pretty much everyone thinks he killed Susan. <laughs> maybe, maybe his. Well, I don't even think outside those people. I don't. I don't want to speak on behalf of people who are alive, and you know. Um, but there, there are those who support Josh. But I think the vast majority of us looking at the totality of the evidence can say, yeah, he killed her. I think it's pretty clear why he killed her. Well, that's what the police have said. Yes. At this point, they've, they've closed the case. It's not actually a cold case. They've closed it. Well, it is, it is active until they find her body, but they're not actively investigating yeah, it. Yeah. Right. They don't um, think that there's some strange, crazy guy out there we need to be careful of. 
Right. There's no one running around West Valley abducting women from their homes on Taking snowy December nights. And cleaning yeah. their couches before they take them. Right. The couch cleaning killer. <laughs> um, so... It doesn't have the same ring to it. Yeah. <laughs> the... The theory really just is about the details, um, method. You know, how did he do it? Uh, you know, I explained. I, I think he had this extensive tool collection. That that was a likely, uh, you know, opportunity for murder weapon for him. How he employed that, I don't particularly like diving into. You know, how he would use that. Just recognizing that was available to him as something he was comfortable with. In something the family room of. with the hammer. Yeah, we're playing Clue. Yeah. Um, I, and then the other question is, where is she? Uh, obviously, a lot of people believe that she's out in the desert based on the fact that, you know, he went on this camping trip and he had made previous comments about dumping bodies in mines. Uh, the police department searched a lot more mines than people ever realized. That's one thing that has really stuck out to me. Um, West Valley Police Department, they take a lot of crap for this case. Some of it is deserved. Uh, not getting a search warrant for Josh Powell's house on the first night was a huge mistake. That being said, they worked their butts off for like three years. And uh, having spoken at length with the lead detective on this, I've got a lot of respect for the work that he did and for how invested he was. So it's changed my opinion on that. Um, not to say that they didn't, again, have some problems, but... I think they were working uh, with the right goals in mind, that some of the tactics they tried are actually pretty good. You're just dealing with a guy who traditional police tactics do not work on. Um, where is Susan? Uh, you know, I, I, I think she's probably somewhere up in southern Idaho. Do you think she's in one piece? That's tough to say. Uh, and again, I mean, we could debate it. But really, what good does it do? You know, um, based on his level of intellect, I would venture to say no. We we know that he was very brutal with his boys, and if that informs our thought process on it, you know, draw your own conclusions. We know Steve Powell. Uh, one thing that was not ever known publicly until uh, the seventeenth episode of this podcast was. The day after Susan disappeared, Steve Powell was saying, Josh did it. I think he burned her to death. Those journals were unreal. Yeah. He knew. Yeah. Uh, so even though he spends, you know, the entire rest of his life spinning this fantasy that she had run off and was living in Brazil. Doing hair in Brazil. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the obsession. They're like, do they think that beauticians are just only beauticians ever? Like, Beauty school dropout. Yeah, kind of. Just, it's absurd. I mean, come on. It's it, They don't, Josh and Steve did not view... Susan as a person, they viewed her as a thing, as a as a you know piece of property, and and that was reflected in everything they ever said about her. So yeah, I I, I think uh, you know she's probably uh, somewhere in the middle of nowhere, southern Idaho, and um, we probably won't ever know where that is unless there's some kind of twist of fate where someone just happens upon it. Just like when we find bodies up in the mountains, someone will just be hiking along one day in the middle of nowhere. Right. That or she's in a potato field and we'll never know and we'll just eat her year after year. <laughs> for, for, me, for me, that's a really awkward thing to try to segue out of. Uh, <laughs> that's what I like to, to Chris. For, for, for me, it really comes down to like, 
it, it, and I said this in the, in the conclusion of the podcast, like it doesn't, in some ways it doesn't matter. Right. Certainly it matters to her family, it matters to her friends to be able to say definitively, like mm-hmm. we know where she is. Um, but for the purposes of what can we all learn from this? Like, yeah, be nice to know. But if we spend all of our time organizing, you know, massive searches of the desert, we're not doing the most good with this story that we can. Well, the most good is like you say on every episode, it's, it's working towards ending domestic violence. Yeah. And, and learning from what happened to her, it's helping the next person who is in Susan's situation or one like that go, I got to get out of this and I got to do it safely. And it's empowering friends and family to, to recognize those signs. And, and I think um, making sure that people, when they do recognize them, help because it, it, I think a lot of people feel powerless too. You may recognize it, but you can't convince somebody to do something that they're not ready to do. Doesn't the domestic help? I mean, it helps people that are on the outside wondering how to help, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Certainly, everyone's situation is unique. Uh, I've had people reach out to me personally and and share, and it's very difficult because I'm not uh, I'm not trained in how to deal with that. What I can do is tell a person who expresses uh, to me that they are feeling like they're not safe or that they're in danger that, first of all, like, I believe you, right? Mm-hmm. Start with belief, uh, validate, and then I'm going to try to direct you towards somebody who can help. In a lot of cases, that's going to be your local domestic violence organization. Um, y- you know, it, my, my goal can't be to be Superman stepping in and saving every person. It's pointing you toward the people who are in a position to know how and to tell you that it's okay to do that. It's okay to talk about it. Um, You know, if you have a friend, if you have a family member who's going through this, it can be really difficult to know, am I going to do harm if I bring this up? And it's not my job to say, yes, you must, or, you know, no, you shouldn't. It's follow your instinct, but start by believing and encourage someone who's going through it to speak up, speak out and to get help. And not just women. True. Yeah. Statistically, this is a problem that impacts women to a greater degree than men. That might be in part because socially men are discouraged from reporting. Uh, There are male victims of domestic abuse absolutely and they also should be believed and assisted and validated um susan's case i think resonates with women for an obvious reason and so when i encourage you know female victims of abuse survivors of abuse to to get help it's because this is a story about a woman who went through that Okay, one more question. No, we can't. We have to ask the coworker one really quick. Oh, Is that okay? okay? So there's somebody in your building that has a question for you. Oh, no. And they want to know <laughs> if you see crime reporting diff- differently after doing this. Yeah, yeah, big time. Uh, and I've covered a lot of crime in my career. A lot of it is, you know... Um, what we call blotter you know it's the stuff day to day to day there are like shining star cases that stand out for whatever reason that you connect with as a journalist but even still then um they do fade over time Uh, you know i mentioned for me the lauren mccluskey murder up at the university of utah was incredibly impactful and i'm going to remember that for a long time Mm -hmm. um 
but I learned so much from looking at this case very closely about how law enforcement investigations work, about police tactics, about um, private lives of people. You know, it, it can be very difficult as a journalist to sometimes see through your own reporting to recognize that the people you're talking about are actual human beings uh, because we are facing it day after day after day. Right. You build these emotional walls to protect yourself from being so affected by every single yeah, story. You can only report about so many shootings and murders and violent crimes and not have it affect you without yeah. putting something like that out. So for me, it really has changed the way I view crime reporting because it's reminded me of the need to be human and to feel it because it made you feel like you knew all of them it, it really did uh and i mean so are you sympathetic with uh josh <laughs> in, well you know what that's a fair question josh powell did not have to be who he was he if you look at the environment in which he was raised and, you know, I didn't go into it a lot in the podcast, but his his own dad's upbringing was very tumultuous. So there's this pattern of abuse that's going forward generation to generation. I can imagine an entirely different Josh Powell, one who is, yeah, he's a narcissist. Um, but because of good parenting and intervention in his young life, learns how to channel that behavior in a more positive direction. Um and he uses his talents to better himself. And he and Susan together, had they worked well together, they would have done really, really well. So in a sense, yeah, I am a little sympathetic to him. I hate what he did. I hate who he became. Um, but I, I got to remember that he's a human being as well. He's not just a villain in this story. He is a human being. Well, and clearly his dad was messed up. Like, there's yeah. no doubt about that. The, the, the more you get to know who his dad was, the more you know he was messed up. And look, you, you don't have messed up parents and come out straight and narrow all the time. There's a genetic component, but there definitely is a huge... Well, you used the term conditioning, yeah. like, late in the podcast. and Steve groomed his kids. I mean, he did. For uh, sure. Yeah. So, so, uh, but back, back to the question, that, that kind of recognition of the humanity of the people involved, um, is one of the key takeaways for me, journalistically speaking, going forward. Okay. Now the, really the last question. Now this is the most important. important. It is because you're, 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 uh, you're a, a Utah, uh, yeah. born and bred, um, we won't call you native. Um, Thank you. He is not a plant. <laughs> um, but uh, we, we ask everyone that's on our show this, this question because this show is ultimately about Utah. What's one thing that you would tell someone visiting the state of Utah that they had to do before they left? Ooh. <laughs> this is complicated, and I'll tell you why. Um, I love Utah backcountry. I hate what people are doing to it. So... I like sharing my favorite places. I have stopped doing that publicly because of the impact of, of people going. Um, but if somebody came to me and said, uh, you know, hey, I'm visiting Utah. What's the one thing I should do? Where would I send them? Camp in the West Desert in December. <laughs> it is beautiful and quiet. Um, 
I would have to say you've got to do the drive over. So uh, go down to Torrey, right outside Capitol Reef. Do the drive up over Boulder Mountain on Highway 12 through uh, Escalante. If you've got some time and inclination, uh, head on the Hole in the Rock Road out there to some of the beautiful Escalante Canyons. Uh, swing by Kodachrome Basin. Uh, go up to Bryce. And then uh, uh, if you've got time, then swing down to Zion. So this is interesting because a, a lot of our guests say go see Zion. I love how specific go that see. was. This is going to be great to write about. Hashtag everything. maps and everything. He, he gives... Full directions yeah. of the drive you should be perfect. taking in southern Utah. No, that that yeah. Highway 12 drive is stunning, and uh, a lot of us, you know, zip down I-15 to go to St. George, um, and we completely skip some of the most beautiful country in in the nation. Like, period, in the world. It's Maybe amazing. we should go go pick up Sean after all and make her go through the drive. <laughs> My daughter's down at Dixie, Ooh. and her sister's at Cedar. So yeah, like we could totally do that. Yeah, I'm. I'm telling you, um, now's right about the best time of year because it's not too hot yet, and there's no crowds. It's it'll start picking up here. There really is fast. flash flooding though. <laughs> yeah, Jess tries to cross the rivers when I didn't try. Flood. I did it <laughs> with you know, a 13 year old two times. <laughs> it only takes what like six inches of water to float a car. They say. Yep, she did it I in her uh, butt deep water. Good yep. for you. With a 13-year-old child. Do not encourage that. Do not encourage that. She's here. She's safe. That's what she said, too. But I was like, yes, safe for the, you know, the tree trunk that floated down right after you guys passed. And I used to point Roman candles at my friends and shoot each other in the the summertime with it. And and I'm still here, but it doesn't mean that was a smart move. (laughs) I would agree with that. I have been properly chastened. Jess still has not figured it out, though. I just want to be clear. Dave, we, we really, really appreciate uh, you taking the time to, to chat with us about your podcast and, and uh, the Josh Powell case. Again, the pod- podcast is called The Cold Podcast. Yep. Right? And how can people get in touch with you if, if they want you to investigate? Without touching you. Uh, <laughs> super fans. Um, <laughs> thecoldpodcast.com is, is the one-stop shop. You can email us at uh, cold at ksl.com. Thanks so much. Well, that's going to do it for our show tonight. Hopefully uh, you all enjoyed that long-winded conversation about uh, the cold podcast. And uh, But not bad long-winded. No, no, no. no it was I great. Didn't it was, it long. was that long. Yeah, it was know, long. It fast. It, 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 it went really long. Like, I, like, it was fast. Like, it didn't seem that long, but it was... Uh, yeah, but the way you just said long-winded, it sounded bad. Yeah, I'm sorry. I let Jeremy talk once, and it was just all over. Stay <laughs> over there. <laughs> I'm the long-winded one. Let's be clear. I'm the one that talks the most. Um, Thanks to Steve, Dave. It's Josh, Dave. Josh, oh, Josh Dave. Dave. Josh, Dave. Who? My good help. Josh, boys. Dave, Steve. Um, <laughs> no, so uh, Dave, Dave, Callie, Collie. Dave Colley. Colley. See, I fucked it up. I like got it right. So I'm yeah. just. I should never be allowed to say people's names. Just start um, calling them sir. But but thanks to Dave. Seriously, thanks to Dave for joining us. Um, that was a fantastic conversation. It was good to you to kind of hear that experience of a very different kind of podcast. Go check too. out the 18 episodes. I know it's long, but it's entertaining as well. It's not as, as long as this. Uh, yeah, we're we're almost three years, buddy, and we do two hour episodes. I don't think his are two hours each. They're only an hour, I think, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Um, they're good. They're, they're super good. produced. So it's, it's very different style than us where I'm lazy and don't get paid for it. And um, I, I like to leave all the 
bickering in. Um, <laughs> However, there's no farm talk. There's not. His you, podcast. You are so. not going to get no, information about when to plant your potatoes um, or if the bees are coming. Um, we're not, you know, he's not going to talk about Farmer Luke, I can tell you that much. But uh, He's not going to tell you about his cakes. It is, it, especially if you're interested in the subject that we talked about. So jo- Josh Powell is an infamous Utahan. The, the crimes made national headlines over multiple years, um, kind of like the John Benet Ramsey case. Everyone kind of remembers something about it in some detail. Uh, it is, it is, there are elements to that case that, that speak a lot to some of the culture in Utah, uh, why some of the things happened the way they did. Um, the, we, we've talked about that case with other folks like Sim Gill. Um, and it is, it's very much a, it's like the Elizabeth smart case. That's going to be something that's remembered in Utah for a long time. Uh, so, and hopefully, hopefully for a very long time, hopefully we don't forget, um, because that is a, is an important thing to remember that domestic violence is very real. Um, and so just something to keep there in the back of your head. And I think the thing that stuck out to me the most, uh, from, from all the conversation with Dave is what he said. Um, you know, speak up, speak out and get help. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the other thing that he said was, you know, the first thing you want to do when someone tells you about domestic violence in their life is listen to them and believe them mm-hmm. and then validate them. Validate them. Yeah. Tell them, I believe you. Yep. Here's what you need to do. I believe Call you. Let me help. Number. Get help. Yeah. That's that's so important. So, but uh, that that is going to do it for the show. Um, if you like what you hear, uh, give us a follow, um, share the episodes. That helps more than anything. If you don't um, like what you hear, share it with everybody you know and say, "Listen to this garbage." Yeah, listen to this crap. They're talking about <laughs> the Josh Powell case on this episode, or uh, listen to this. These these idiots talk to a brilliant man in Sim Gill on our last episode. Just click the share button uh, on Facebook. Uh, we're the New Utah Podcast. You can find us there, and you can click share from there. Uh, if you're on Twitter, there's a button for retweeting. And so if you follow at TNU Podcast, you can retweet the episode. Uh, you, Sometimes people need reminders. It's good. Yeah. And the other thing is, if you even if you don't like us, if you like Utah and you follow us on Twitter, especially on Twitter more than probably any other platform, we retweet a lot of Utah-centric stuff. Um, some news, a lot of events. Uh, and if you have an event coming up that's not a racist rally, um, we'll retweet it for you if you, if you add us. Um, but yes, yeah, sharing our stuff, retweeting uh, the episodes really, really helps. Um, and leave us a review on whatever platform you uh, you review on or you look at. Stuff I just want to end. I know that Dave is super humble about what he does, and he doesn't like to. He doesn't like people to like give him props where props are due. Just like anybody, it's you know he's just very humble. I just think that he handled his podcast so well and just very straightforward. And you can tell that he took so much time to research everything and all the haters out there you should be punched in the throat well and I, ju- I just think he's amazing like he just did such a good job i will say in a world full of shoddy journalism and fake journalism in the sense of not fake news but saying that you're a journalist when really everything that you're spouting out of your mouth is opinion pieces and op-ed mm-hmm. crap 
that is not what this podcast is. This podcast was a very, very objective look at a lot of evidence that was never made public, uh, a case over in an, an thing over a long period of time um, and the fact that he even off air um, even off air he was still very very straightforward and as unbiased as he could be um, that, that says a lot about the journalistic integrity there so I was, I was impressed with that as well Jess and that's going to do it All right, um, it's showing is caring 